Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Crossroads. Thanks for joining us this morning. Please join me in prayer. All right, Father, thank you so much, Lord, for this church. Thank you for each person here. We know that uh, you brought everybody here today, Lord, and you know every situation that's going on with us. You know where we're hurting. You know where things are going well, Lord. And just like the song said, open, um, open the eyes of our heart, Lord, so that we can see you. And uh, we just thank you for that. We know that uh, we're going to be traveling again through your word today, Lord, and your word is perfect. We know that everything that is there for us is there for a reason, Lord. So we just ask that our hearts be open to that too, um, so that we will take away from today's message as Bill delivers it, um, what you would have us take. And we just thank you for that. It's in your son's holy and precious name. Amen. 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 Thank you, sir. Uh, wow. Exciting day for me. For those who don't know, my name is Bill. Uh, thanks for joining us today. We're in the middle of a travel log, and, and we're going to do something today that uh, we're going to go to a location that is really uh, was one of my bucket list. I always wanted to go to Jerusalem. I always wanted to go to Israel. But it was one of those things, yeah, we'll get around to it, long airplane trip, uh, all that other stuff. And so we didn't see much hope. My wife sold a house for the Seventh-day Adventist pastor who just happens to be an archaeologist by his, major, by his background. And so they take trips over there all the time. They had an SDA that wasn't able to go. Choose me, choose me. And because she had said, sometime, if you ever have an opening. So we went, I think it was like 12, 14 days over there, on the bus, off the bus, on the bus, off the bus. Uh, but the thing that was uh, powerful, you know, 14 air hour flight over there, it was very a good opportunity because most of the people on the tour were on that thing. And we had some younger, we had a young 12-year-old throwing up the whole way. So this endeared us to the whole process uh, as we got there. But we landed uh, at Ben-Gurion Airport, uh, spent the night in Tel Aviv. We were all tired. They put us in a motel and said, get some sleep. Bus shows up the next day. And so we, we all got on and they head for Jerusalem. The, the approach of getting there was very interesting because uh, they snuck around to the side, went down to the side of the city, and then climbed up. You couldn't see Jerusalem until they went over the top, and we got out. And looking at Jerusalem, you could see the Temple Mount. That was the whole purpose, and you could see the walls around it. You could see the Dome of the Rock. It was one of those experiences, uh, as far as I was concerned, it was just so powerful. Nothing had happened but just to see something that I had studied and you know, learned about and heard, heard interactions in it, how important it is. Uh, for me, it was, just, it was one of these things that was just powerful. And for the next several days, as we went and looked all over Israel and saw the things that were there, uh, the history of Israel, the power of Israel, the, 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 ru the, the rubble, literally, of, of multiple cultures, that had conquered and lived there. Very powerful for me. Uh, it's the city of David. It's the city where Christ did his teachings. It was where Christ was crucified and where Christ rose from the dead. You know, it was one of those experiences for me that uh, I'd like to go back. I, I would go back in a heartbeat. Uh, if, you know, the plans work out that way, it would be great. I have no security uh, concerns personally going over there. What better thing to do would be to die in Jerusalem. It would be good company uh, of all the martyrs who have gone before us. So today we're taking this trip to Jerusalem. And actually we're going to be moving into the nation of Israel as the, as the followers 
uh, of God and, and the family of Abraham have marched across the wilderness. They're now starting with Joshua to enter. But as always, in each of these lessons that we've gone through, as we started from the garden to the flood, to Sodom and Gomorrah, to the tower, uh, to different places, to all of those, there's something to learn. Each week we've, we've put up two verses, which are, which are verses that, that apply so much to all of our lives. The first two, talking about our travelogue, is that these things happen to them. All the events that you read about in the New Testament and Old Testament, those things happen so that we can learn something from them. So we don't have to repeat the mistakes that they made. And so it says that these things happen to them as an example. But they're written down for your instructions and for my instructions. Uh, whose instructions? And I think this is important in 2021. On whom the end of the ages has come. I think most people understand we're on a countdown. More of the signs of the world, Jesus described them as birth pangs that take place uh, before he comes back. I think we're, we're experiencing birth pangs. We look, certainly in our country, uh, we're well advanced in birth pangs, and the world is also. So we can learn something from each of these places that we visited. But also, every time we, we stick our nose in, our travel guide brings us somewhere, there's always a spiritual battle. There are always forces of darkness and evil that are challenging us. Now, uh, this, is, this is true where we go in the history. It's true where we are today. There are spiritual forces of darkness. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood. It is not a, you political uh, pundits, it's not a battle between Democrats and Republicans. It's between God and the forces of evil. And if you just assign those to the political party, you're part of the problem. Uh, if you've got the other side as the bad guys. No, there are spiritual forces that are working inside of our country. Good forces to draw people to Christ. But there's also this evil spirit of division, strife, and anger, which is pounding us as a nation, families into the ground, so many things. It's a spiritual battle. So every place we look in the past, we see it. As we look at our life today, in 2021, we see it. But above all this, one of the things that we've tried to point out is that God is working out a plan. There is a, a sovereign God. When I say sovereign, that means a, a one totally in control that a bird does not fall to the ground without his permission. Lives are created at his decision. He's the God of all things. The Lord establishes his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. He allows evil. He ordains good. But whatever happens, God is the sovereign ruler. So at each place we've looked, and today in our world, our country, even California, and in our lives, God is ordaining events uh, or allowing events to draw us to him. So today, as we, as, as we go and we look at Jerusalem, we're, we're, we're going to be summarizing some of the things that are there. But today's lesson, as the spiritual battle continues, starts, and I'm just going to do a quick review and remind us in all of these, God speaks to us. Tim started with this uh, song that started out, you know, open the eyes of my heart. We want to hear God's transmitting to us. God is speaking. He always has been. Uh, we started in this series with, with a man named Abram who became Abraham. Uh, he listened to God. God spoke to him. There's, there's uh, 
hundreds of times in the Bible where the phrase God spoke or God said to are in there. And so uh, the Lord said to Abraham, go do this and, and you'll be a blessing and I'll guide you. And he becomes this, this wandering uh, Bedouin farm, uh, herder of, of, of sheep and such. And he says, I'm going to make you a nation. I'm going to give you these promises. Just, just be there. I will bless you and make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and, and curse you, those who curse you. So as a country, I think we've lived under the blessings as we supported Israel over the years. But that's a promise. God spoke to him. It happened. Then next, God spoke to Moses, the one who delivered the people uh, of Israel. He said, say to these people, the Lord God, your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you know, sent me. Moses was told by God, go deliver those people. We talked about that two weeks ago. And Joshua, here we are today. He's going to lead the armies of God's people into what is called the promised land, the land of milk and honey. All those things are there. So what's important to us out of this? God speaks. He's speaking today. He's speaking to you and he's speaking to me. He speaks first and foremost through through our hearts and the Holy Spirit, the conscience that dwells within us, that tells us what's right and wrong. He, te- he talks to us through the creation itself because the creation reveals God to us, the intricate designs and power that it took to make uh, our creation or even to make a human body. Uh, so that's there. But he also speaks to us in the Bible. God has given us a written account of his instructions for us so that we might live joyful lives, that we may serve him and serve other people here. And at the end of our days down here, we can hear the voice saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Each week we've looked at this this Bible, if you will, this word of God that comes to us. And, And we've said, reminded ourselves that it's inerrant. It's no errors. It doesn't ever change. And God breathes it through 60 six books, 40 authors, so we have exactly what God's heart are and his intentions. Today, we're actually going to uh, look specifically at the heart of the commandments that he gave his people Israel as they entered the land. And as he did that, he was establishing, if you will, uh, Jerusalem as the capital. That's why we named this, we're going to Jerusalem. Because Jerusalem... Uh, becomes the spiritual capital, the political capital of a nation as they go in. And, and Jerusalem, it says, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Uh, you know, may they be secure who love you, uh, pleased within your walls and security within your towers. Peace for Jerusalem. This is where to pray, where to look for it. When I went to, was there, uh, just m- many of you know, it's not a city of peace. Jerusalem of, of all the nations in the world uh, has, been, has been attacked so many times. It has uh, 40, 52 times it's been attacked. It's been captured and recaptured 44 times. It's been destroyed, leveled to the ground twice. We're told to pray for the peace of a nation and a city of a nation that has not experienced peace and it's not experiencing peace now. Anyone aware of the terrorist threat coming from Hamas or Hezbollah, uh, Iran, other uh, companies that are countries and, and organizations that are committed to the total annihilation of the nation of Israel today? 
terrorist attacks, rockets attacked just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, currently, uh, Hezbollah in Lebanon has got 200,000 rockets capable of hitting any part of the small nation of Israel. If you're not familiar with Israel size-wise, if you drive across San Bernardino County, that's the size of Israel basically the size of this whole nation that's the center of the world that people are looking at it in Jerusalem, which is this capital, which is claimed by so many people, by Jews, by Christians, and by Muslims. And so it's not a city of peace whatsoever that's there. Even, even now, everyone in even our country is turning out in this, this boycott, divest, and sanction a nation that's the only democracy in the Middle East, only democracy in the Middle East, only military power that's able uh, if that, to be in cooperation with us to keep peace in that area. Uh, Israel is this great nation, and Jerusalem, their, their capital that takes place. You know, and again, finally, the war is there now. There'll be another war, another battle. It's called Armageddon. It will take place there. The Battle of Armageddon, the final battle uh, before Christ comes back and sets his feet where? On the Mount of Olives, next to Jerusalem, and, and establishes his kingdom here for a thousand years. Uh, so that'll be the final battle. But today we're talking about entering into it. Why did God choose Abraham? Why did he choose this, this group of people that, that from the garden to the flood to Sodom to uh, Abraham to Lot for sure, uh, not because they really had it going on, but because God reaches out and uses sinners. And that's my hope. God would use me, and that's your hope, that God would use you. Uh, we're told that Israel was chosen not because of your righteousness or uprightness, that, that you, you got it going on uh, inside of your life. I'm going to let you possess the land. Why? Why did he choose and send them there? Because the wickedness that was taking place inside of the land of Israel when his people came to it. Just a, a few things, a, uh, the, the false worship that was taking place, the false gods, uh, they were sacrificing consistently infants before their God. They would take them out and slaughter them before Baal and some of the Molech and the other false gods that were there. Uh, they would set adult sacrifices, human sacrifices, uh, temple prostitutes, sexual orgies that were taking place as religious services. These people were, were, were corrupt and they lived in a um, I don't even know the correct word for it. They would terrorize and attack and plunder their neighbors, one country to another country. They were constantly sending out raiding parties, and they would come to a village and kill everyone and take all the animals and take all the stuff. This was the land they were going into. And, and God says, when you go in, you have to remove all that. If you let them stay there, you will pick up their practices. And because they weren't obedient, uh, many of the problems in the future were there. But know therefore that the Lord your God is not giving you this into your, this good land to possess because of your righteousness, because you are a stubborn, stubborn people. And by the way, that describes most of us if we're really honest. But that's, they go in. They go in a group. They started out as Abraham by himself, becomes a family, coming out of Israel, or excuse me, coming out of uh, Egypt. There's 1.5 million people. They wander 40 years in the wilderness. Only two of those 
of adult age people get to go into the promised land under Joshua and Caleb. But when he has them out in the wilderness, now this is where our focus is going to be today because as he brings them out, he wants to teach them. And so uh, he, he gathers them together, what we call Mount Sinai, in the middle of the wilderness. They wandered for a while, and God speaks to them. He speaks with, out, of a, out of a cloud, but this mountain that he's speaking from, there's, there's thunder, there's lightning, there's a thick cloud that hangs all over, and a very loud trumpet blast, and the people in the camp tremble. And well, they should. Now, this, this sounds unique, but this is... Uh, God coming to convey a message. It isn't uh, so much to, to invoke fear, but it's just to remind who he is. Uh, getting ready, I reviewed in my mind uh, some of my favorite passages in the Bible is when a human being like you and I or by God's grace is brought up into heaven. Isaiah 6 describes it. He see, we see God high and lifted up. We see him on his throne. We see it in uh, Revelation 4 and Revelation 5. We see it in Ezekiel. God is, but there's... there's angels singing, there's, there's shaking, there's, there's just the power of God, not random and, and, and destructive power, but just the power of his holiness and the power of someone who can speak all that we know into existence. This is the God that's there. So God, get his, his people, see that taking place. Uh, the, the Lord had descended on this mountain with fire and smoke went up. And the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, and Moses spoke, and God answered him in the thunder. God is speaking to his people. I am sure glad that he comes to me with a still, small voice. <laughs> I would hate to be sitting uh, in my family room, and, and it would wake my wife up for one. That would not be good. My neighbors, the town, and everything else. But, but he's speaking to his people, and he's, and he's getting them ready to go into the land. And he does something that uh, seems so simple, and something we've all heard about. We don't know the impact of it, though. He, he gives them commandments. He gives them commands. Now, these are not suggestions. God doesn't make suggestions. When he says, do this, it's a command. It's something that, that, that should be obeyed and followed. Our heart, if, we know, if we're a follower of Christ, we don't negotiate. We don't uh, go back and forth. We say, yes, Lord. Because we love him, we say, yes, Lord to him in doing that. But he, he gives 10 commandments. And now this becomes the foundation of the nation of Israel and the, nation, and the foundation of every human relationship that's on the earth today. He says, if you want success as a nation and as people, here are 10 commandments. You know, getting, getting ready today and... Uh, I sit back and I go, oh, I know the Ten Commandments. There's only nine. Someone stole a commandment. So I, I, it was kind of a practice and, and kind of fun for me to remind all of them, and, and there they are. No gods before me. Don't make idle images. Don't take the name in vain uh, of God. Keep God holy in a Sabbath with him, a rest with him. Honor your father. This is... Honor your father, your mother, don't murder, no adultery, don't steal, uh, don't lie, don't covet. Be content with what you have. Ten simple, I say simple, commands. That if we do that as a nation, we'll prosper. Who wouldn't want to live in a nation like that? A nation that honored God, worshiped God, loved God. 
and, and, and loved our neighbors at the same time. Uh, there's, there's the beginning, but there's two parts to the Ten Commandments. There's four that defines our relationship with God. There's six that defines our relationship with other people. Uh, let's go look at our relationship with God, and it's very simple. Uh, it's laid out at the beginning with a simple verse. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And here's very important. You should teach them diligently to your children. Christianity is passed on. A love for God is passed on one generation at a time from, from parents to their children. That's what we're called to do. And so this is, but remember, it's a love relationship. Now recognize, we recognize that verse because Jesus, and we'll see it in a minute, same thing. It was a love relationship from the beginning, from the garden to when Christ comes back. It's a love relationship with him. So let's look at it. You shall have no other gods before me. God's God. No other gods. One of the things that we we're challenged with today is we don't have idols. We don't have uh, most people who are aware of uh, the other gods that are offered through other uh, religions. We see, uh, you know, a, a being of anger and wrath and, and not a God of love or a God flimsy and non-existent, a spiritual reality so we can, we can float in it. But our God says that, that we shall have no other gods. And it just makes sense. We have reviewed for several weeks, for those of you who have been here, the devil comes to Adam and Eve. I love this part. Did God say? Did God really give that command? Did God really draw a line in the sand? Did he? Satan asked us. And Adam and Eve chose poorly. They said, no, I'm going to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I'm not going to let God decide what's good and what's evil. I am going to decide. And we enter into the era and the life of self. Same thing through the flood, same thing through Sodom and Gomorrah, same thing today in our culture. Will we believe God? Will we let him define what's good and evil? The second one is you shouldn't make for yourself any carved images or any idols or anything else. The idol to today is not a little carved thing that we have. It's us. We live in the age of self. We decide who we're going to be. When we worship, it's our self-esteem, it's our self-actualization, it's our competency, it's everything that we do. Our worship is us when we do that. Our little idols set to the side. Some people have physical idols, whether it's uh, a home, a job, a career, a bank account, relationships, anything. But we put this little idol before our God and, and we worship it. We sacrifice, we disobey our God to follow and serve this little idol that we have inside of our lives. Third command, don't take the name uh, of the Lord your God in vain. You know, we, we pray the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. The name of God itself is holy. The, the, the Israelis would not pronounce the word, the name of God out loud. They would say the name because it's holy and righteous. We, we walk in the grace of Christ and we, and we call upon their name. But, but this, we have to do it in holiness, not in profanity, 
not throwing it aside and, and flip comments about God or, or the guy upstairs or any of these other things. There's a, there's a holy God. And when we speak his name, we're, we're speaking his holiness. So to, to honor our God, we do that. Hallowed be thy name. And then finally, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Remember the Sabbath, you know, a, a day of rest. And now, in each of these things, Christ has come and he's fulfilled so much of it. But the Sabbath is still uh, something that we're called to do is to have a day of rest. One out of seven days, we have a physical rest. Now, when Christ came, he offered us another rest also. It's, it's the foundational rest. We, we, we see it in Matthew uh, where he talks to his disciples. You want rest? You want peace? He says, you come to me. If you're weary, if you're heavy laden, if you're bogged down, uh, you come to me. He says, uh, come to me and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke or my teachings or my understanding upon yourself. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart. And isn't this what we all want? My, and you will find rest for your souls. Soul rest. This is the, this is the Sabbath rest that we find in Christ. Uh, the people of Israel wandered 40 years. Why couldn't they enter? Because of unbelief, lack of faith, and sin in their life. And that's what stops us from this Sabbath rest. But God still calls us to it. It's still one of his commands that we should take time off. Obviously, uh, Sunday's a work day for me. We strive on Mondays to be kicked back around till noon. Uh, but each day, as you open your Bibles and everything, it's a Sabbath day. I can spend time there. But those are, that's our relationship with God. That's pretty simple. That's pretty simple. This is what we did teach our kids, how to honor God. And think of a nation that did that together. What a difference that would be. But then he says, okay, now, now th that's how to get along with God. That's our covenant with God. What's our covenant with people? What are those things? And it starts with, again, love. We should love God with all of our heart. And we should love our neighbor as we love ourselves. You know, modern psychology, the... Uh, the, the idol worshipers of whether it's uh, Maslow or, or Freud or Skinner or Rogers or all of these that tell us we're really good people, so you really ought to like yourself, which we should, but only in the right context. You see, we already love ourselves. That's the problem. I love myself. I made sure yesterday I bought two half gallons of Rocky Road ice cream. I take care of myself. I've got my three things of whipped cream in there. I just got from Costco. I'm, I'm, I'm good to go. I take care of myself. But God says, as we love ourselves, love other people. Treat other people as you would have them treat you. And so he does that. He starts out with the foundational unit of a nation is a family. God created a family. A man will leave his, leave his family and be united with his wife, and the two shall become one. They'll build a life, a family, and a future together. They become one. This becomes the central unit in any culture. Children are added to that uh, with God's blessing, if that's God's choice. But in that, in the family challenge, and this is anyone that's parenting in, in, in 2021 understands what I'm saying, this concept of having kids learn to honor their parents because it's in the home that a human being learns, a young child learns to be submissive to authority. 
If he's not submit, taught to be submissive to authority in his home and to respect his parents, what we call first-time obedience is the ultimate goal, that when you ask your children to do something, it's not nagging, it's not yelling, it's just take the trash out. Okay. Get me some Rocky Road. Great. The first-time obedience, and this is taught in the home, parents are to teach their children not to, not in pounding down fear, but in the righteousness of the parents and godly discipline, kids are learned to respond first-time obedience. There's so many good programs. I encourage parents because you're not going to learn it any place but in a church or in a homeschool environment uh, where these things are taught. Honor your father and your mother. It will go well with you. There's a promise with that. And the rest are pretty straightforward. You should not murder. You should not murder. Now, we say, hey, I've bumped anybody off in a long time. But God doesn't do that. He, Jesus takes each of these and he moves obedience to parents. He moves murder from a physical act out here to a spiritual act on the inside. He says, if you're angry with someone, you've murdered them. If you, if you call them names, you've, you're guilty and, and you should be subject to the fires of hell. Would you like our politicians to follow that? Really? Uh, so don't murder in your heart or in action. Very simple. Don't commit adultery. God has given us this wonderful gift of our sexuality, but he also put guardrails. It's to be explored and enjoyed in the context of a marriage relationship with the security that's there. Take it outside of that, and it will corrupt us, the other person, and the culture we live in. This this do not commit adultery. And again, Jesus is very close to say, important, he looks in our heart and says, you committed adultery in your heart. And I believe everyone has to raise their hand and go, yes, Lord. But now we know. Now we know that that's where adultery starts. Don't steal. Very simple. Don't take from someone else what's theirs. These are not, these are not deep philosophical arguments or principles. This is something that everyone knows intuitively is true. Don't lie. Don't lie to your neighbor. It's to speak the truth in love. In love. Speak the truth. Your word should be our bond. Speak the truth. Don't lie. Don't covet. Very simple. Oh, my goodness. Be content. Coveting is, is desiring something someone else has because we're not content. We are somehow shorted and, and, and some, God has given us something that we obviously need. So we're discontented. We're grumbling and disputing. Says, how come he got that? How come, you know, I can look around. How come someone's got a full head of hair? Look at that beautiful head of hair. Coveting your hair. Never mind. Uh, but coveting our neighbor's house, our neighbor's wife, cars, tools. Jerry, you hear that? My tools? Where is he? Uh, coveting. Now, now, now take us just a step back in, in loving our neighbor. If, if we would do this, think of what relationships would be. Think if we spoke truth to our wives. We, we love our wives or our brothers, our children, our parents, as Christ loves us. And, and, and we put these guardrails in place. We call it grace. Grace will, will win. We will show love to him. Uh, when God created us, he created us for relationships. And he, and he tells us how to carry those off. 
And so in, inside of the nation, he gives each one of us these, these Ten Commandments. And it gives us the opportunity to follow through and to be able to live that way. But the question has to turn out, too, by the way, this love God. Is you love your neighbor. Why do we love God? Because he earns our love. He doesn't demand it. He earns it. He gives commands, love the, Lord, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. But why do we love God? Why do we honor him? Why do we not use his word carelessly? Because he so loves us. The people of Israel were nothing, but God chose them to be something. Uh, each person here that knows Christ, we were nothing, but God chose us to be something in him. He gives us this opportunity to be able to do that as we go. Uh, where does this carry through to the next to the next opportunity. Jesus emphasizes the two commandments from the Old Testament when uh, a lawyer gets a hold of Jesus and trying to pin him down and says, okay, you got good doctrine or not? Jesus responds to the lawyer. And he says, what is the greatest commandment? Well, Jesus says, well, it's to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. First and greatest. And then love your neighbor as yourself. The same emphasis is to take my love that I have for myself naturally and to put other people in front of that and serve and meet their needs. Jesus, uh, again, emphasized that this is what he needs. And, and he establishes a kingdom on it. He establishes the kingdom and the nation of Israel in its land. And he reemphasized this a couple of times. Some of the other verses that you, you, I'm sure that you may be familiar with, uh, God speaks to his people and he re reiterates the heart and how we're to treat other people. Oh, God has told you, oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindly, and to walk humbly with your God. That's simple. That's simple. Easy to memorize, easy to hang on to. And then, then he also, uh, at the same time as he does that, he gives another one. King David was a sinner of magnitude, great magnitude. At a point in his life, he, he murdered and committed adultery, then tried to hide it. But when it was revealed to him, God in his grace redeemed him. He created him a clean heart. He renewed the spirit with his in him. But David comes back and he tells us what's important. As we talk to God, he says, uh, oh, God, you don't delight in sacrifices. It's not my works. It's not the things that I do. He says, if, if that's what you wanted and that was our criteria, like all the other religions of the world, then I'd do it. But that's not what you want. Very important. The sacrifices of God that you can put before God and I can put before God is a broken and a contrite heart. A broken and a contrite heart. That's what God looks at. You see, the eyes of the Lord search the heart. So if we're here today, it's, it's our heart that he's looking at. It's not our fancy clothes. It's not the car we drive, the life. We, it's none of that. He looks at our heart. The um, verse says that I, the Lord, I search the heart. I test the mind to give to each according to the fruit of his deeds. In other words, God is looking at our hearts. That makes it so simple, but it makes it so hard to control our hearts, to, to have a heart of love. He searches the heart, and, and the promise is that 
the eyes of the Lord are constantly, I, I like this idea. Sometimes uh, I'll, I'll pull this verse up in my mind and, and I recognize that God's eyes are searching the whole world. And the hope is that he'll find our heart presented to him, broken contrite, uh, a heart that he can strongly support. You know, we all want God on our side, right? Well, there it is. God's on our side if our heart is given to him. If we love him, we'll keep his commandments. You know, the, the commandments of God become the foundation of life. We've got a demonstration of the, of the Ten Commandments in the back. Mo Moses brought them down on the stones that, that actually were the finger of God wrote them. Ten Commandments, simple ways to run a nation and run a people. Well, how did Israel do and how do other nations do? Uh, good news and bad news. Because this applies to every nation and every person. There is a, a cycle that people go through. We're going to kind of close with this. It, with, this is huge for us in our country. Because this cycle starts with an understanding that, that God has chosen to call heaven and earth to witness against you, I, and our country. God has set before each person here and each person ever born and each nation the opportunity for blessings or for curses. We can be blessed by God or we can be cursed by God. It's not his decision. It's ours. Because we choose what we're going to do. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring uh, may live. How? By loving the Lord, obeying his voice and holding fast to him. You know, this is, this is the, the statement to you and me. It's where are we in that? Are we holding fast to God, loving him and loving our neighbor? Are we following the Ten Commandments, really and literally? Are we? We can choose life or we can choose curses. And, and it, upper right-hand corner, this is a cycle of every nation and, every, and can be of every person's life. I'm going to start out with the good news. We've been restored and, and we have a love for God. And blessings flow into our lives. You know, my, my life radically changed at, at 33. It wasn't perfect, wasn't anything. But things started to change. I had something to offer my kids. Parents that don't know Christ, you have nothing to offer your kids that are going to last. You can make them successful in this world, but if they don't know Christ. So uh, at a point, restoration and love for God transformed my life and changed my hope for my kids and the blessings of God has flown literally through our life. That doesn't mean we're always wealthy, healthy, and all that other stuff. What it means is that God is blessing us. He's using us and we're comfortable in our relationship. We're comfortable in our skin. We're comfortable uh, in what God has called us to do. We've heard his voice and we know. And this is a blessing of God and, and we live in it. But if we're not careful, pride can come in. I am so cool. God loves me. The downward spiral starts. We start taking him for granted. We stop honestly seeking him with all of our heart and love. We stop seeking how we can follow his commandments and his directions in our life. We start, pride, rebellion comes in. Often there's warnings. God sends warnings through prophets. But he also, the biggest warning, the biggest prophet that comes to my life is simply pain. If I, you know, sometimes uh, if there's pain in a relationship, that's God correcting. Sometimes my, he's used my body as pain, and I go, okay, God got it. Uh, 
He sends prophets to warn us. People warn us. Messages warn us. His word, open the Bible and read Jeremiah if you ever want to be corrected lovingly. Read Jeremiah and Isaiah. Uh, so, but if we don't listen, curses of sin will start to come in. Our relationships will start to come apart. Our children will start to rebel. Our finances will be in disaster. Uh, we'll be confused. And, and if we don't respond to that, our heart just gets harder and harder. And ultimately, God will put a judgment on us to get our attention. Not because he wants to, but because he has to. When, when kids choose to rebel against your control, you continue to increase the punishment until it hurts enough for them to stop the behavior that's destroying their life. And God loves us enough to do that through his judgment. And then if we're wise, we'll repent and seek God again. And then we'll be restored to the love. But it's repentance. My favorite word, repentance, means an abhorrence of past and present sins. I won't do that again. I won't put Christ through that pain so I won't do that. This is, this is the cycle. And every life is in it. That's where we are. But quite honestly, in the application today, that's where our nation is. Take a minute. Where do you think our nation is? That's, a, that's an important question. Because in history and today... The cycle took place in Israel, the early church, the Reformation church, and in the United States, in the church of the United States, and in the lives of each and every Christian. That's what it is. And, and we will, over time, have good and bad prophets speak to us. Bad teachers are very uh, prolific in our country and very available in our country today. False doctrines, false belief that are there. We have uh, corrupt government leaders. There are godly Government leaders, there are. We need to support them. In, in Israel at one time, they had 40 kings. Israel was split in half, northern kingdom, southern kingdom. Each had 20 kings. Out of the 40 kings, only eight were good. The rest led them astray into idol worship and, and failures and along those lines. But in all of these times, there's one thing. God always leaves a faithful remnant. There is always a group of people with their hearts turned toward God, loving God, seeking to follow him and transform not only themselves, their families, their, but their culture and their country to serve God. And prayerfully, as we, as we look at it today, that we are the remnant, the remnant of Israel, uh, the survivors of the house of Jacob. Uh, they served the Holy One of Israel in truth, a remnant that is there today in the United States. The, the statistics are unimportant, uh, but just be part of today. Realistically, there's 2% biblical Christians in our country. There's 50% to claim Christ, but only 2% only follow him. Be the remnant. Isn't that funny? That the, that a, my wife sewed for years, so we always went to remnant sales. So be a remnant, be a remnant. Uh, that follows and serves God, be part of that group that's making a difference. You know, uh, faithfully, God will continue to warn us as to what's happening. If we can't see the signs of the times, then we're not looking. I said at the beginning, the world is in birth pangs, waiting for Christ to come back. 
And we get a chance, a window. I don't know if it'll be this year, next year, this decade, whether I see it or don't see it, but people in this room, I'm fully convinced, will see Christ descending again on Jerusalem to set up his kingdom here on earth. That's kind of exciting, kind of exciting. You don't have to have someone throwing up next to you for 12 hours uh, to get to Israel. Christ will descend and will be there. This is the promise that he gives us. And the prophets are speaking to us. So, so what do we do with that? God will faithfully keep his side of the covenant. We need to keep ours. Here's a, I encourage everyone to read Deuteronomy 28. Please, I, I say it so often. Uh, I'll, I'll help us today. The first part of Deuteronomy 28, it talks to a nation, it talks to a life, but it's talking to the United States today because it says if you faithfully follow and obey uh, the Lord your God, being careful, these blessings will come. We live in a country that is so blessed by God, that has been so blessed, that is so blessed. We've got natural resources, we've got land, we've got so much, and a godly foundation was laid for our nation we, and through that, we were a blessing to ourselves and to other nations. We, we defended the world against fascism. We, we've so many times engaged our troops and, and care to be able to do this. We obeyed the voice of God, and he blessed us financially, materially. We're the wealthiest nation ever there. We do have freedom. It's threatening now, threatened right now, but we have freedom. And so, but if the other side, if we chose not to obey the Lord and all of his commandments and his statutes, these curses will follow. Very simple. I, I don't think it takes a, a prophet or any teacher to say, uh, in 1960, when we kicked God out of school and prayer out of school, when we started saying, no, that God can't be in the government, now we're saying all these different things, anything we can to flaunt our rebellion, we redefine family. We redefine people. We redefine truth. We become our own truth definers in the things that we do. Uh, what's the result of that? Well, the result, if we faithfully listen, we'll be blessed. The encouragement. Read Deuteronomy 28. You'll see the blessings, but please carefully watch the curses because they're very evident today. We will be in debt to other people, other nations. We are a nation of debt, personal debt, government debt, corporate debt, and international debt. That's a curse in our lives. Uh, our enemies, we, we, were, we could not be defeated after World War II. We could have taken over the world. Subsequent to World War II, we've not done well in wars. Korea was, was a tide that's still a pain. Vietnam was a loss. Uh, Iraq and, and the central uh, area over there, they returned to where they are. Uh, Afghanistan, 20-year war. And within the next couple of weeks, the whole country will fall. Currently, the, the Taliban is going through and dragging bodies through seats, and they're, and they're hunting young women to become their sex slaves for life. Summary, applications. Please love the Lord our God. All of our stuff, all of our soul, all of our mind. 
This is the first and the greatest commandment. The commandments are real. They are commandments. They're not suggestions. And love our neighbors. We already love ourselves. On these two, everything is based. Look at our lives and see where we are in the cycle. Look at our nation. Pray for our nation. We say pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray for the peace in Washington, D.C., in Sacramento, in Ridgecrest, because there's strife and anger and wars, political wars and you know, morality wars that are taking place around us. Spiritual wars are taking place. One of the most powerful things that we did with God's commandments is we took them away from our children. One of the, uh, we're to teach them. We're to love him with all of our heart. We're to teach diligently our children. Uh, Supreme Court case in 1980. The Ten Commandments were banned. These Ten Commandments that we just talked about were banned from our schools. They were taken away. And, and, and the reason given, I'm going to read it. I know you can read it. But this was the why they took them out. Posting religious texts on the wall serves no such educational function. There's no good, not good. Why would you put those up? You don't want to teach those to your kids. If you posted copies of the Ten Commandments, this is Supreme Court Justice writing this. If, if you uh, posted copies of the Ten Commandments are to have any effect at all, it will be to induce the school children to read the Ten Commandments to meditate upon the Ten Commandments and perhaps to venerate them or, heaven forbid, to obey them. Does that bother you? The home is where we can teach Christ. Literally, another religion. Homeschools, uh, so many different things are being established now to be able to save the next generation. Be part of that. Be part of that. Um, join me in prayer, please. Father, we thank you that you love us. Not because we're, we're, we're righteous and not because we're godly, but because we need a God. We need your righteousness. We need your love, and we need to show it to other people that this nation that you love so much, that each person in it you love so much, Thank you that you will continue to teach us to love you and love our neighbor so that we might participate in your blessings as we tell others. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Again, thank you very much for coming. We visited Jerusalem today. Next week, we go to Bethlehem. And uh, I think you probably know the surprise that's waiting for us there. Okay, see you next week.